Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Time is like this river. We're rolling along in this river, and sometimes it's very turbulent river, and you need at some point to kind of pull yourself over to the side and look at the landscape that's coming up to figure out how you're going to navigate through that. And if you don't do that, you're basically like on that river, only you're also in a dark cave. <laughs> it's like even more terrifying. The idea of planning is to pull yourself over to the shallows, look at the landscape, see how you can tackle it. The biggest mistake we make is that we don't do that. Welcome to series 11 of the Not Perfect podcast, a show that's here to share conversations with world-leading thinkers to help us grow, stretch our minds, thrive, and heal from within. I'm your host, Poppy Jamie, a best-selling author of Happy Not Perfect and entrepreneur. I've spent the last decade exploring how we can live better, support our mental health better, expand our consciousness, and feel full even when things feel turbulent. I hope you enjoy the show. On today's podcast, I am interviewing the brilliant Laura Vanderkam, who is the best-selling author of several time management and productivity books, including her brand new fantastic book I couldn't put down, Tranquility by Tuesday, Nine Ways to Calm the Chaos and Make Time for What Matters. This book couldn't have come at a better time. As we're moving into this time of year, I feel that everything slightly goes away and we feel we've got so much to do before the end of the year. So it was a complete joy when I knew Laura was coming on to this show to talk about how we manage that a bit better. Laura's work has appeared in so many different publications globally, from the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Fast Company and Fortune. She podcasts, she writes, she speaks and helps millions of people globally reclaim their time life and fulfillment. I didn't actually think Wonder Woman existed until meeting Laura, but the best thing about her work, she shares her secrets. What's a favorite quote you return to often and why? So one of my favorite quotes is that dripping water hollows stone. I think it's attributed to Ovid. I think that's how you say his name, the poet. But the idea is that when you do little things over and over and over again, you can get big things done. And I am always trying to convince people of this fact that if you have a big goal, you can break it down into incredibly small steps as long as you just stick with it. Huge canyons are basically the result of tiny bits of water damage over and over and over again. And, and we can do the same thing in our lives. God, that's so interesting. Why do you think we lose our patience so often and we in a way, that small drip feels painful, that it's not dripping quicker or more. It's what you said. It's patience. I mean, we want to see results with anything quickly. We want to finish things quickly. But as I tell people, it's not necessarily the first step that's the problem. It's like the 800th step that's the problem. I mean, people mm -hmm. can start anything. And we, we spend so much effort thinking about how we start habits. How am I going to put in a new habit? How am I going to get this new thing going in my life? And we don't necessarily think about how I'm going to shore up the ones that I already have. Uh, and, and I think that that's really a question we need to spend mm -hmm. more, more time on. And with anything, we 
don't have to think about it forever. It's like, can you just do whatever it is today? And if you could do it today, that's great. Like, let's just not worry about the rest of time. And, you know, then tomorrow you can make the same decision. I really like that, especially when January kind of looms and we all get into this frenzy of thinking we have to set all these New Year's resolutions and introduce all these dramatic changes in our life. And as a family, we go around the table and everyone has to share what their goals are for the next year. And from what you've just said, how wrong in many ways have we got it? Like, why are we not looking at the things that made us really happy the year before and actually recommitting to them? Well, that's definitely an option. I mean, I'm not saying that there aren't new goals that people want to pursue. I'm a a big fan of New Year's resolutions, as you Mm -hmm. can imagine, this line of work. But I do think that it's not so much the question of adopting new habits. It's that saying, well, if I'm going to focus on a few things, what can I do to stick with those over and over again? Because, Mm -hmm. you know, when you do one thing repeatedly for a lot of time, you can definitely make progress. I mean, if you want to write a book, for instance, if you were to write a little bit of something all 365 days of the year. Let's say you write 200 words every day. Right. That's going to be, you know, 73,000 words, which is the length of a book in the course of a year. And 200 words is nothing. Like people send that many emails by like 9, 10 a.m. It's just that we don't focus it on something. And if you did and did that every single day, you'd have the book at the end of the year. It, It really, you know, we can break things down into incredibly small steps, but we just have to keep going. What's a life lesson you've been reminded of recently and why? Well, one of the tranquility by Tuesday rules is to give yourself a bedtime. This is actually the first rule. And I try to abide by it. I try to follow my own rules. Giving yourself a bedtime is one of the best ways to make sure that you not only get enough sleep, but get the amount of sleep you need every single night. So you're not undershooting and then overshooting and constantly playing catch up or having trouble maintaining routines. I try But I often have that little voice in my head late at night saying, well, you don't have to go to bed. You could stay up a little bit later, do a little bit more stuff. And then inevitably, I feel tired the next day. And so I, you know, I'm reminded again of the wisdom of like, okay, yes, it seems like it would be fun to scroll around for 20 more minutes. But is it really worth not feeling good tomorrow? Or could you just go to bed and scroll 20 minutes in the morning, you know, and you still get the same scrolling experience if you want it, but you won't be suffering so much. Um, so, you know, that's something I'm trying to remind myself of. I was actually fascinated about that part of the book, because when your life is full of activities that aren't so enjoyable, in a way, bedtime feels like complete freedom that you then want to lengthen. Can you speak to a bit more about that. What is that temptation for us to go, "Ah, everyone's asleep. It's my time. I understand why we then self-sabotage ourselves because obviously that's a lovely feeling to finally have time for yourself. Oh, absolutely. Everyone wants and needs time for themselves. And much of our lives can feel like a never ending to-do list. There are things we have to do for work. There are things we have to do for our families, just the basic chores of life. And so yes, that quiet late night time where everyone's in bed and you can finally have complete autonomy over your time feels good. And who wants to put a stop to that? Um, Except that the alarm will go off in the morning and you'll have to be up and doing it. So, you know, there's a couple things to think about here. I mean, one is that yes, you are a grown up you have a choice. If you want to stay up and you have a good reason, go for it. But I think it's also 
possible, and maybe this realization should nudge us to do this, to put in more me time at other points in our lives. Mm. And many of the tranquility by Tuesday rules are designed to do just this. I mean, that blowing past your bedtime doesn't feel quite so much like you need to do that to get your me time if you are taking a night for you and doing some sort of fun thing in your life that, you know, one night a week, if you are, you know, doing these effortful fun during bits of time during the day, like you're making 30 more minutes to read during the day, if you're going on little adventures, so, you know, you have things that you're looking forward to in life, then it doesn't feel quite so much when it gets to 10, 11 o'clock at night, whatever your bedtime is, that like, no, no, I haven't had any time for me yet. I want people to have that time for them long before bedtime. So bedtime doesn't feel quite so fraught. What is your bedtime routine and what are the benefits have you experienced from having one? So I need to wake up at 6.30 in the morning. That's when we have to get the kids up and moving for school, the older ones. And I need about seven and a half hours of sleep. So that means my bedtime is 11 p.m., right? This is just a math problem. It's not, you know, any sort of statement of what kind of person I am or anything like that. It's just that if I have to wake up at 6.30 and you count back seven and a half hours, you get 11. And in order to make sure I am in bed by 11, I have to get ready before it. So all the kids are in their rooms with the lights out by 10 o'clock. So then there is that hour in there, you know, at some point in there, brush my teeth, wash my face, all that, make sure lights are out. But usually I want to make sure all of that is done earlier in that window so that I can then sit in bed and read or whatever. And, and it's great when I'm in my bed at say 10, 20, and I know, Ooh, I've got 40 minutes to do whatever I want, you know, that I can just acknowledge that I have this time and it's, it's for me. So, you know, the earlier you can kind of get ready and get yourself all there in bed. So all that's left is to turn off the light. Then you can actually kind of enjoy that me time as well. Even if you are going to make your bedtime. I love to ask everyone this, and it's quite an abstract question, but how do you define the soul? Well, I think it's the the part of us that's maybe focused on the eternal, um, the bigger questions in life and things that are more meaningful. Ideally, the larger, higher power that many of us go into our, our religions to access, um, but the part of us that is concerned with that. In this podcast, we discuss your mental health, discuss all these hacks and tips And then also, you know, talking about the wider things as well, like intuition and soul health and stuff like that. And sometimes I get to a crossroads when we're thinking about rules to like help us live better. What is the balance in your opinion between having rules that help us live better, but then having rules that maybe contribute to our perfectionism, actually make us super rigid and so inflexible that we end up living lives outside of alignment? Well, ideally, rules don't feel restrictive, Mm. right? If they're guidelines we have for ourselves, it's because we have chosen them and we think that they generally do make things better. And, you know, again, the idea is that the goal is a better life. And so if a rule is ever in conflict with that, you stick with the bigger goal. And so that's why I always say with things like give yourself a bedtime, you are a grown-up. If there is a good reason to stay up past your bedtime, you know, if you and your spouse are having a great conversation, really working through something important together, that's fine. That's fine. Stay up. But you can do that. You know, if you have an amazing day that you're doing and for whatever reason it means you can't, you know, get up and move by 3 p.m., which is another rule, then again, it's fine. We don't have to do these things every single day. It's just that we generally feel better 
when we do. Mm. And so I I encourage people, if you don't like the idea of rules, just think of them as suggestions, ideas, guidelines, you know, try them out in the iterative process of, of life design, see what works for you and see what doesn't. I do know because it's part of the Tranquility by Tuesday project that I I had 150 people try out all these nine rules for nine weeks. And I know that when they did them, they did feel far more satisfied with their time, right? Like that did in fact happen. Uh, Their Mm. time satisfaction scores rose to a high degree. So I think that will happen for other people who try them too. But you know, if, if you do something most of the time, that's great as well. Well, this then brings me on to the rule that you suggest three times a week is a habit. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Why is that important? Yeah, well, there are many things that people want to do regularly in their lives or do more of. And we often, you know, wind up feeling like failures because we can't do them every single day. You know, people mm. tell them, say they want to exercise and then, you know, they talk themselves out of it because there's not a perfect time every single day. Or, you know, we want to have family meals, but because of work and, you know, kid activity schedules, we're not eating together at 6 p.m. every night. And, you know, we start to feel bad about this. But I maintain that many things do not have to happen daily in order to count in our lives. We live our lives in weeks, not days. And if you do something multiple times a week, and I'll just go ahead and put a specific number, three. If you do something three times a week, that is occurring regularly in your life. And three tends to be quite doable for many people. Like if you look at whatever it is that you want to do, exercise, family meals, maybe it's practicing a musical instrument or reading a certain kind of thing or meditating or whatever, many times people are doing it like once a week. You know, and it feels like you're never doing it because you're just looking at life in days and most days you aren't doing it, but you're not doing it none. You're doing it some. And some is very, very different from none because some allows us to scale that up. And I'm suggesting, well, can you get to three? And that just involves little tweaks. It doesn't involve an entire lifestyle overhaul to go from once or twice a week to three times a week. That's just adding a little bit on the margins. But all of a sudden, we have this thing that is a regular part of our lives and can be part of our identity. So for me, I try to run three times a week, and I can find three times over the course of the week. I can't do it every single day, but that's okay. I don't have to. I can run three times a week. I practice the piano three times a week. We aim to have family meals three times a week. Does it happen every single night? No, it does not. But again, it doesn't need to. And the funny thing is, you know, writing about time management, a lot of people want to tell me about their great daily habits. (laughs) And I've learned something interesting over the years, which is that many times when people tell me about their great daily habits, they are not in fact doing these things daily. (laughs) They are often doing them Monday through Friday, but that is five times a week. That is absolutely not daily. That is cutting off two very important days of the week that they're not doing them. And so why do people consider Monday to Friday daily? You know, and yet, you know, if we did something Friday, Saturday, Sunday, people would be like, oh, it only happens on the weekends. I said, no, that's happening three times a week. That's very mm-hmm. important to us. Anyway, I, I just find it interesting, like why we assign certain times of the week more importance than others. But the truth is things do not have to happen every single day, nor do they only have to happen during weekdays to be important in our lives. I find this a very refreshing conversation because I think that there's too many articles in the public domain of wellness professionals creating an illusion of perfection in a daily routine. You know, there's 24 hours in the life of me and it's like, I make a gluten-free, sugar-free, dairy-free, stunning Michelin star meal for the family by 7am and then I'm on a run for four hours and then I managed to do all my superstar jobs and with a smile on my face and perfect hair and we're like what? (laughs) 
Well, and also when people have stuff like that, it's like they have created a day. Mm-hmm. I when I have people track their time because I want to see people's schedules. I have them track yesterday. Mm. So not this idealized day that are like, oh, I, well, maybe I did it. They said, no, tell me exactly how you spent yesterday. And I can tell you yesterday almost never has the four-hour run with the <laughs> gluten-free breakfast or whatever it is. Because we're talking about a day that truly happened as opposed to whatever we view as a typical day in our lives. So, no, it's funny. I mean, there's this huge gap between perception of time and reality of time. I mean, you know, I have people keep track of their time for me. And some people understand that. Like they track time that actually happens and then they send that to me. But I've also had people just like send me their next week's Outlook calendar. I'm like, this is not a time log. Like, I don't know that you did all that. (laughs) Like, and I don't know that Mm -hmm. like, you know, any of this happened as it was supposed to happen. And, you know, it's like, if we're going to make it up, like, sure. Why don't we just say I worked a perfect 40 hours and I slept eight hours every night. (laughs) What are the biggest mistakes people make when it comes to organizing their time appropriately? Well, I think the biggest mistake we make with time is that we spend it mindlessly. We don't Mm. think about where we would like it to go. And because time keeps passing, it is very hard to make good choices in the moment. You need to have some time when you are thinking forward and thinking about what you need to do, what you would like to do, what you are looking forward to, all those sorts of things. That's why the second Tranquility by Tuesday rule, rule number two, is actually plan on Fridays. The most important part of that being to plan. And, you know, I talk about how time is like this river. We're rolling along in this river and sometimes it's very turbulent river and you need at some point to kind of pull yourself over to the side and and look at the landscape that's coming up to figure out how you're going to navigate through that. And if you don't do that, you're basically like, on that river, only you're also in a dark cave. (laughs) It's like even more terrifying um, when you have no idea what's coming up or how you'll deal with it or any of the resources you have available to you. So the idea of planning is to pull yourself over to the shallows, look at the landscape, see how you can tackle it, um, and maybe see if you can enjoy the view while you're going as well. So yeah, that's, uh, you know, the biggest mistake we make is that we don't do that. And so we just experience life as it happens to us. And yes, there's wonderful things that might happen to us, but a lot of things are just never going to happen to you if you don't Mm. think through them and make sort of plans for them and, and ponder how you will put them into practice. Why is it Friday, the day that you suggest planning and not Monday? Yeah, well, the most important thing is to plan. And so if you plan on Monday and it works for you, that's great. You don't have to change it. Again, these are guidelines, not, you know, hard and fast, like must do these my way with the highway. Um, But I think Friday has a lot of stuff going for it. I mean, for one, Friday and particularly Friday afternoon is low energy time for many people. It's Mm. very hard to actually do your work or start a new project or Mm. anything like that. But you might be willing to think about what future you should do. And it's often easier to plan than it is to actually do the work. So if you were just going to waste this time, better to repurpose it for planning. It allows you to use all of Monday, right? Like Monday morning, you could hit the ground running if you knew what you were going to do. But so if you plan on Friday, which would be wasted time, you can use that sort of beginning energy of the week to get a lot done. Whereas if you're planning on Monday you're not going to be able to get started on a lot of stuff till later on Monday or even Tuesday. And if we're sliding into the weekend on Friday, we've just radically shortened our week, right? We only have like three days. Whereas if you plan on on Friday, you have all of Monday available to you. You know, if you need to make appointments somewhere, set up meetings, it's it's better than Sunday night. A lot of people plan on Sunday night, Mm. but you know, you can't call places that have business hours on Sunday night. They're not going to be open. So, you know, Friday allows you to do that. And it also allows you to go into the weekend knowing what you're going to do 
on Monday. Because mm. the problem is if you don't plan until Sunday night or Monday, like often you start feeling a little nervous on Sunday. You feel this anxiety, even if you like your job. And it, it's what it is, you know there's all this stuff waiting for you and you don't know how you're going to deal with it. Whereas if you end the work week, knowing how you will attack the giant pile of stuff, then you can relax on the weekend. Like, I know what I'm going to do Monday morning. Now I can relax and enjoy my days off. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. How do you manage the difficulty when plans we really want to happen go wrong and it's out of our control? Because I think a lot of disappointment, the happiness and stress equation is the gap between expectations and reality. And plans are often the expectations we have for ourselves that next week. You can almost get a bit low morale if you've planned this amazing week for X next reason, and then suddenly, boom, bulldozer happens. What's your advice in those situations? Yes. And I mean, this happens to me all the time. <laughs> uh, life does not go as planned. But, you know, there's a there's a famous saying that's attributed to uh, Dwight Eisenhower that plans are worthless, but planning is everything, which is that when you know what is important, even when the bulldozer comes through, you can pivot to focus on those things that absolutely do have to happen, even if much does not happen. So it allows you to identify what is most important and make sure those mm. things still do get done. But there's some other things you can do, too. I mean, tranquility by Tuesday rule number five is to create a backup slot. And so there, if there is something that you truly want to do and life intervenes, that doesn't mean you don't have to do it at all. Maybe it's just that it doesn't happen at the original time. I've certainly done this with say, you know, if I've planned a special one-on-one trip with a child, one of my kids, like during the summer, we try to do like one-on-one days together and maybe somebody will request an amusement park, which is great if it's a nice sunny day, like if there's a tornado going through, then no, you can't go, right? And and so that would be very sad if, you know, that was our plan. We made a plan for that day. We can't go. And so what I would do is I would often say, well, if we can't go that day, the backup slot is this other day, the next week. And I will intentionally not put anything that can't be moved on that day. So that if it is pouring down rain on the Friday or Saturday we were supposed to go, then we can move it to the next Sunday. And it helps both of us then, you know, me and the kid, we know that if for some reason life intervenes and we can't do it, that doesn't mean we're giving up on the idea. It means that we're just choosing a different date. It will still happen. 
So I think that's something that can really boost morale for people in general is just creating backup slots. Like, you know, you and your friend plan to go out Tuesday night. If this doesn't happen, maybe you say, well, okay, we really want to do it. (laughs) Both of us really want to do it. If for some reason it doesn't happen this Tuesday, let's just say, you know, next Tuesday will be our backup. Mm. That doesn't mean it won't happen. Yeah, it takes out the whole zero-sum game of these plans, which is definitely more relaxing. I find that your books, and in particular this one, Tranquility by Tuesday, offers so many research-backed tools. But in order to find true success with this book, you also have got to bring, as a reader, self-discipline. Why do some people have better self-discipline than others? Do you think it's a self-sabotaging thing linked to low self-esteem? Like, how do you address that if it is? And what are your tips of evolving and developing self-discipline? Yeah, I mean, it's possible that some people are, are more disciplined than others. I will give you that. But I think often we can set up our lives in ways that support the things we want to do, or we can set up our lives in ways that do not support the things that we want to do. And in general, you know, as we talked about earlier, we want to make very small steps toward our goals that inspire very little resistance. So I don't know if it's so much about the the discipline as the fact that you've made sure to break your goals into steps that are easy to do and fit with your life. So, you know, oftentimes when people make resolutions to exercise, I'm going to be at the gym for an hour every day after work. And it's like, well, okay, the first time your boss has you stay late, like there goes your routine or, you know, you get sick and you're off your routine for five days. It's like, can you start it back up again? I, I don't know. Maybe you can. Maybe it's not that you weren't disciplined, but maybe you set too big a goal. Whereas if you say, well, I'm going to just, you know, move my body for 20 minutes, three times a week. Well, that's more something you could do. I mean, you know, your boss has you stay late at work. You do it after that. Or maybe the next day you go on a long walk at lunch and, and, and it becomes something more that you can stick with. And was that second person more disciplined than the first? Well, maybe, but they also made a wiser choice about what they were holding themselves to. And so I think the essence of being disciplined is making it possible for you to succeed. And then as you do succeed, you've got that confidence to maybe even stretch your goals sometimes, knowing that you, you will keep the promises you make to yourself. I really like your point there about allowing yourself to have a little win to give you that motivation to continue, especially if you are someone who will prioritize themselves last. And so suddenly someone else's need becomes prioritized for whatever reason. And the plans you've had for yourself go out the window. What are your thoughts there? Because I know this is something that women, not to be too generalized or gendered, but research does suggest that women are more vulnerable to deprioritizing themselves, compromising their plans to support others over them. What's your advice and thoughts on that? Well, one of the rules in Tranquility by Tuesday is to take one night for you. And with this, I suggest that people actually use this phenomenon to their advantage, which is that you need to make a commitment to something that is fun for you, but that occurs at a regular time and, you know, involves going out in the world and doing something so that you will actually do it. So example, I sing in a choir and we rehearse every Thursday night at seven o'clock. Now that means whatever is going on, I will probably be there at Thursday night at seven o'clock. Like I build it into my schedule. Like my family knows that's choir time. You can't just ask me at like 630 to drive you somewhere because I have to go to rehearsal, right? Like that's built into the schedule. I'm accountable for other people. And I think a lot of times when people are like, oh, I want to take some time for myself, they make sort of flexible plans that are by their nature, 
dependent on other people not wanting you to do other things. They'd be like, I'm going to take a bubble bath. Well, your boss wants you to work late. Would you be like, no, no, I've got an appointment with my bubble bath. Like, yeah. no, your, your bathtub isn't going anywhere. And so your flexible fun winds up not happening because mm. it can be dependent on other people not wanting you to do something else. So I suggest people actually go ahead and make a commitment to something that they truly do want to do. And that way it will motivate you to do it and you will feel better afterwards. I mean, you'll go when you're tired, you'll go when you're busy, you'll go when your family would probably prefer you didn't go and you will feel better afterwards. And, and you know, it's a hard thing for people to get their minds around. They're like, I'm so busy anyway. You want me to make another commitment? Like, what does I, I'm like, yes. I do. I want you to commit to something you truly want to do. I want you to get rid of other stuff that you don't want to do. But I do want you to try to figure out something that really you genuinely enjoy and then make sure it has a regular spot in your schedule. You have obviously studied so many people and how they time manage. What are some of the signs that someone could be better at time management? Because I think there's some people who admit they're terrible and there's other people who actually think they're quite good. But actually, I'm sure after you've worked with them, you're like, oh, I don't think you're as good as you think you are at time management. What are some telltale signs that this may be an area to work on? Well, certainly one is if the person isn't getting enough sleep, right? Mm -hmm. And you can see this. If somebody tracks a whole week and they are undershooting the amount of sleep they need early in the week, things start happening later in the week. Like they're crashing on the couch in front of the TV or they're hitting snooze four times. They're sleeping through half the weekend because they have to make up that time. And your body's going to force you to get to a certain amount over a course of, you know, a week or two weeks or so. And, and so if you skimp on it some night, you just have to make it up somewhere else. And so people would be like, oh, look at how much I you know, got done. And it's like, well, you're just substituting time on one day for time on another day. And maybe that wasn't what you really intended to do. I do find it funny that sometimes people um, get a reputation for being really good at time management and they don't have any accountability to anyone else in the world. <laughs> right. So right. Um, yeah. it's like, well, okay. If you have never dealt with like, a kid getting sick and that disrupting your schedule and yet still managing to provide good care, loving care for them and get your responsibilities done. I don't know. Have you really figured out time or do you just have a life where nothing goes wrong? <laughs> maybe, maybe the first is, you know, true. And maybe the second is true. And I'm far more impressed when people who do have complex mm. lives are still making time for their goals versus people who have sort of more infinite levels of control over their schedule. I think, you know, it's great that they do make time for their goals, but I think it's a little bit less complicated than people who have more going on. Yeah. One line in your book I loved, you write, adventure is a state of mind. And I just thought this was great because I love people who like adventures. I love going on adventures myself. And actually this made me realize that it's almost a way of life rather than the actual doing it as such. Why did you write this and and how can you evolve that state of mind that you write about? Yeah, well, one of the rules, rule number six, is to have one big adventure and one little adventure each week. And, and this rule is aiming at you know the idea that much of adult life can be very routine. Yeah. And we do the same things day to day. And that's fine. I mean, I like routines. They make good choices automatic. But when too much sameness stacks up, it's like you can't even remember where the time went. I mean, we, mm. we don't ask where did the time go when we remember where the time went. I want people to live lives that are more memorable, that are more interesting. Um, and part of that is about having experience that are novel, out of the ordinary, um, that have your brains laying down the, these memory tracks. And so 
one big adventure, one little adventure is like, we'll do two things out of the ordinary each week, a big adventure, three to four hours, like half a weekend day, a little adventure could be less than an hour, but you just want to do something that makes time more memorable. So it's not like a week that was like any other. It's like, no, no, that's the week we went on a hike in that nearby park, or that's the week we tried the new gelato place or whatever it is. Now I did my study, um, the Tranquility by Tuesday project, you know, had 150 people try out these rules over nine weeks. I did this in the spring of 2021 and, and people were in various states of mm-hmm. sort of COVID restrictions mm-hmm. at that point. You know, some folks had everything open to them, but many folks did not, right? Like there were still a lot of places like museums or concerts or whatever that weren't happening at quite the rate that they were before that travel was, you know, more restricted than it would be later. And, you know, so all the adventures in the world weren't necessarily open to them. I said, but, you know, even if you can't do everything, there's always something you can do. And so people would do things like go for a family walk in a new neighborhood or somebody, you know, built like a bridge over a creek in the backyard with their kids. Somebody made a, you know, shoots and ladders game with chalk on their driveway. I mean, there's all sorts of things you can do that are adventurous, even if you couldn't like leave the house. Mm. And so my idea here is that, being adventurous is a state of mind. Like, yeah, some people, maybe you need to like go sail across the world for it to be considered an adventure. But for most of us, if it is something that is interesting, different, novel, memorable, it is an adventure. And you want to always be on the lookout for those things and then noticing them when they're happening so that you can form that memory and look back on them later and feel like time is rich and full. In all of your years now studying time management and you have interviewed thousands of super successful people, what do you wish you knew earlier? I think that fundamentally I haven't necessarily changed my thinking about it, which is that we do have enough time for the things Mm. that are important to us. So that, that fundamentally has not changed. And, you know, I've always come at it from that angle that, We don't have to sit here and say like, oh, you know, life is impossible. Life is terrible. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like, no, if there's something you truly want to do, you can probably make space Mm -hmm. for it. As my life has become more complicated and, you know, as I've had more kids, there's just more moving parts. It's become even more having to put in time for the stuff I know I'm going to enjoy. Sometimes it's challenging, but that's when I start leaning on the rules, like build it in as a commitment to, you know, making sure that I joined a choir so that I would have time to do those things. But, you know, I think that I try to operate by, by the principle that time is abundant and, you know, there's probably a way to make it work if you want to make it work. Why do you encourage people to write a list of 100 dreams? Yeah, so this was an exercise that was shared with me by a career coach many years ago. And the idea is it's sort of like a bucket list, but it's anything you want to spend more time doing. And bucket lists are great, but, Mm. you know, people will write down like the 24 countries they want to visit and then that's the end of it. (laughs) You know, and so it's like, well, what do I do with this? I can't do anything on Tuesday with like this idea that I want to go visit Japan sometime. Like, I'm not going to do that this Tuesday. So, you know, this is not a particularly useful list. But 100 is a lot. And so people start with the 24 countries they want to visit, but then they have to start go digging a little bit deeper. And you know, that's where you can start getting like, oh, I want to go hike in that nearby park. You know, I want to try that new gelato place. I want to have a really good mug for my coffee. I want to go sing in a karaoke bar. I want to own a pair of um, really awesome wool socks. I don't know what it is, but you start putting things on this list that are a little bit more doable. And when they are doable, then we can do them. 
right? We can start trying these things out. You know, if you're thinking about what big adventure could I have this week? Well, if you've got a long list of possibilities, you can, you know, maybe put one in there or a little adventure even that, you know, you've got a, a long lunch break on Thursday. Maybe you go to that museum that's nearby that has limited hours, but hey, if you're on your lunch break, you can go during the day and be good. You know, it just it reminds you of things that you want to do. And I definitely think people need to put things into their life that they are looking forward to. And so you're like, oh, I'd like to go to a karaoke bar with friends. Well, you know, you texting your friends say like, well, when could we go? Right? I mean, it's just, we often think we have no time. So we don't think about what we'd like to do with it. Uh, making this list gives us ideas of things we could put into our time. And you don't have to do all of them. I tell people this is a completely unedited list. Like, so, you know, feel free to say you want to sing a solo in a major concert hall, like even if you only sing happy birthday at parties, you're not holding yourself into it. It's just anything you might think would be interesting. And then you can start trying things and maybe some of them won't work. One of my favorite stories of this is that the the career coach who shared this with me had put on her list of 100 dreams that she wanted to learn how to sew. And she had kept telling herself in her life, like, oh, I'd love to learn to sew if only I had the time, right? And so eventually she's like, I'm going to pull it off the list and I'm going to do it. And so she takes sewing lessons. She realizes she doesn't like it. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's like, wow, that was a ton of mental energy freed up right there. Like, you never have to worry about that in the future again. You're like, I tried that. It was okay. Moving on, next thing. Rather than having this thing hanging over you for the rest of your life, we're like, I should do this if only I had the time. It is interesting, this idea of like what we think is going to bring us great joy and then we end up doing it and actually we end up being like, no. You know, funnily enough, my old life, my old patterns gave me way more enjoyment than thinking I constantly needed new. But it almost needs us to kind of walk outside and like taste it for real rather than just sit in there fantasizing. Yeah. And you might like it too. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, it may be something that you then add into your life more regularly or maybe it's something you just let go of. But but you don't know until you try and it gives you, you know, fodder for interesting things to do. My last question is really based on morning routines because morning rituals are something that you are a huge advocate of. In all your studies and talking to people, what is the strangest morning routine you've ever heard someone do, but actually sounds quite genius? Hmm. Mostly people do the usual things like they do creative work, they exercise, they might meditate, do some sort of spiritual pursuit. But I think it's kind of cool when people do like, you know, stuff with friends in the morning, because it turns out like nobody's busy at 530am. Like it can be hard to get together with busy people later in the day, you know, like 530pm, they're booked for stuff, but 530am, they're not. Um, And so I've found people who, you know, will have like a regular morning walk at like 530 with three friends, and they do it three times a week or so. And it's like, they've just made a huge amount of time for exercise, and for friendship. And it hasn't taken away from anything else they were doing. They just had to get up on time to do it. And so I find it fun when people are combining things like that and building their relationships first thing in the morning and using that as part of their morning routine. Because often they are more individually focused and that makes sense. It's time we can have for ourselves. It's like that late Mm. night time, only it's in the morning. Mm. (laughs) But when people do find a way to incorporate other people into their morning routines, that can sometimes be really cool. And what habit have you cultivated that has brought you the most joy? Many things. I mean, I love to run. And, and when I do, I always wind up feeling better afterwards. I mean, Tranquility by Tuesday, rule number three is to move by 3 p.m. And what this is, and I suggest that people, you know, in our sedentary society, it is very easy to just sit all day long. But we need to take breaks. 
And, you know, people spend a lot of time and energy trying to make themselves happier and more energetic, but getting a little bit of physical activity and ideally doing it outside, it's like a total reset button on the day. And so even if it is a very busy day, I do try to get up and go for a short 10 minute walk, you know, as a break somewhere before 3 p.m. And inevitably, I feel so much better afterwards. I was just like, you know, no matter how busy I was, it's like I stop and do it. I come back able to work so much faster, things that I couldn't see an answer to before, like they were there. And I come back and, you know, after I've thought about it outside and people are always searching for something that is going to boost their mood, boost their energy. And we do things that are not good for us. Like, you know, why do people have caffeine in the afternoon or eat candy bars or cigarettes or whatever? Like, well, I need something to get more energy, make me happier later in the day. It's like, well, here we have this thing that's probably like 95% effective. I would say like 95% of the time you go for a 10 minute walk outside, you're going to feel better afterwards. Costs nothing is good for you. The more I do that, the more evangelical I am about this idea. Like it really will make things better. So give it a try first. Thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom that's full of research and super practical, so easy to implement for so much more life ease. I will put a link to your brilliant book because, I mean, we've barely scratched the surface of all the things that you've included in there. But how best for people to find you, ask further questions, work with you in different capacities? Where's the best place for people to go? You can come visit my website, which is lauravandercam.com. It's just my name. Um, you can find out information there about my two podcasts, um, links to my books, and I blog a couple times a week. So feel free to join the conversation. We have a wonderful comment section there, and I love to hear from people. So hopefully some of your listeners will come join me. Perfect. And we'll put a link to that. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Not Perfect Podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would deeply appreciate it if you wouldn't mind subscribing and leaving a review and perhaps maybe sending it to a friend who also might enjoy this episode. I can't tell you how grateful I am for those that share this podcast on their social media or with friends because it helps the show reach more listeners. I'd absolutely love to hear from you. So if you've had any thoughts or you want a specific guest coming up in future episodes just let me know shoot me a message on instagram or twitter it's just at poppy jamie and so until next time stay flexible stay true to you and stay leaning into love even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.